Welcome to From the Sidelines, an unfiltered look inside the sports industry, a production of the Hart School of Hospitality, Sport, and Recreation Management at James Madison University. I'm Ashley Doyle, an alumni of the Hart School. And I'm Dr. Joshua Pate, a professor in sport and recreation management at the Hart School. This podcast is presented by the Hart School Alumni Network. The purpose of the Hart School Alumni Network is to develop lifelong heartfelt connections and professional growth opportunities between students, faculty, alumni, and their communities. To learn more about how to get involved, please visit our link in our bio. Here is this month's episode. Today we have J.W. Cannon with us. He got his bachelor's in kinesiology, focused in sports management with a minor in business at JMU in, was it the 80s? No, 1998. Oh, God. 1998. Okay. I'm so sorry. I'm That's so okay. Sorry. Don't let the gray hair I'm fool so you. I'm not that old. But all that, all that blends together. When you're talking 80s and 90s now, it all blends together I, for okay, our age. I'm sorry. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. No, no um, worries. 1998, though, is the year. 1998, okay. Uh, was uh, a founding father of a social fraternity on campus, also was involved in varsity baseball. As of right now, um, his profession, you are doing a lot. So props to that. Um, as Senior Director of Sports Analysis at American Cancer Society, he is member of the Hart School Advisory Board and just started part-time as a part-time professor in January of 2021 at Georgia State University. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so if you just kind of want to start with what, like, what you do, like this, you're a senior director of sports analysis at American Cancer Society, kind of walk us through, like, what does that mean? Like, what's your day-to-day? Um, I know you're kind of just wrapped up busy season and about to go into another busy season so well there's never you know a downtime for us I mean because <laughs> you know at the end of the day I mean cancer is a year-round um but you're you know it has no no boundaries in terms of what it happens to to hit people and so you know the message is relevant for us throughout the year which means you know we try and um, leverage the world of sports um as a way to tell our story about the work that we're doing, you know, whether it be the groundbreaking research that we're doing, whether it be um, the services that we provide to patients, you know, free rides to treatment, places to stay, um, whether it's through our advocacy work, um, but, it's a, but it's a great way for us to tell storytelling to um, a broader and, and really diverse audience. Um, but it's also a way, obviously, you know, we wouldn't be here um, if we weren't um, raising funds. So it's a way for us to stimulate fundraising as well, whether that be through partners, you know, league partners, corporations, um, and even individuals. And so um, it's my job to sort of find the right partnerships and develop the right programs to ultimately, you know, help us further our mission. Um, and, and that's really how we do it, right, is by driving more fundraising to the organization and by, you know, telling our story to, to different populations that may not have exposure to us. JW, I brought you up in class actually yesterday. Um, we were talking about uh, partnerships and how, you know, typically the, the sport and recreation management student comes into the program and they want to be in the quote front office or they want to um, work in a specific professional team or maybe a collegiate athletic program. 
Uh, and I, I brought you up as a great example of somebody working for an organization like the American Can Cancer Society, but your work primarily revolves around sport activations and sponsorships. And um, so I, I think that may be a little bit foreign to students. How can you explain a little bit like what that's like for you working in that environment? Uh, and, you know, just to educate our listeners, uh, whether it be students or young alumni or um, people who have been in the industry that that just don't know that organizations like the American Cancer Society are heavily involved in sport and recreation. Sure. I mean, uh, just strategic partnerships in general, I think, is a is an underappreciated discipline that a lot of kids really don't think about. But when it comes down to it, it's really a marketing role, right? You know, our job is to, um, you know, the, you've heard the four P's, right? The people, place, price, promotion, you know, you, is to boil that down with, for our organization, ultimately to accomplish what the organization is trying to do. In our case, it's fundraising and building relevancy with younger and more diverse audiences, right? So um, the only difference between what we do from a sponsorship perspective um, and what a normal market, you know, a, a traditional marketer would do at any organization is we just have cooler tools in the toolbox to play with, right? I mean, it, there's, it's not materially different. So, um, so I don't think a lot of people gravitate, it, gravitate to it right away um, because it's not really something that a lot of kids get into um, right out of school, right? I think you ultimately fall into those kind of positions as you kind of get into your career and figure out that it's an interesting path. There's not a lot of entry-level sort of positions that are available in the space, um, but it's certainly underappreciated and it's very, very, um, it's a very, very worthwhile passion to, to, to pursue. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Um, if you like strategic marketing and just strategy in general, it's a fantastic place to to kind of cut your teeth. But it's it's good that you're you're teaching the kids about that because I'll be honest, I didn't know about it when I was in school as an option. Or, or if I did, I viewed it as okay, I'm going to go work at Nike and produce videos all day and produce commercials. And that's not necessarily what it's about. I mean, that's just one small component. Like if you look at sponsorship as a big wheel advertising is just one component of that PR is another component, you know, it's your job to kind of pull all those things together and create a program around those relationships. Yeah. I, I didn't know anything about opportunities like this either. And so um, that's uh, I, I'm jealous of those. <laughs> I and wish I had, I wish I had, you know, so um, take me back. <laughs> <laughs> I think that touches on to uh, just kind of like, your journey when I was doing research on you and just like your background your journey is very unique like you didn't really you went like the direction opposite of every I think student now in the classroom or thinks about like Kate was saying like there's so much more than like the big four I guess you could say within sports or college athletics in general like the power fives like you yep. just went complete opposite so what one made you start like what made you want to be in sports, the sports realm, and how did you find the path that you took to get to where you are? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I take, I, I go back to my days at JMU, right? I mean, I think a lot of people start with an interest in sports, right? And they say, oh, that'd be kind of a cool career to go into. And I was uh, one of the many failed athletes that the NCAA talks about, you know, going professional in something other than the sport that they're playing. Um, as a baseball player at, at JMU, um, hurt my arm, you know, my sophomore year and decided to, 
I had to figure out something else to do with my life because I was not going to be a professional baseball player. And so we happened to be building that um, shiny new uh, rec center that was across 81 that year. Um, and I was actually one of the very first employees um, at UREC working in intramurals. And I got really engaged um, with NERSA, you know, the, the organizing body for campus recreation, um, you know, through Julie Wallace and Eric Nickel, you know, Eric's fellow member of the advisory board. And I thought that that's what I was going to be doing for a career. And so all of my internships, all of the work that I started doing in class started to be catered towards a career in campus recreation. I started applying for grad assistantships, which is sort of the next, um, you know, the next step um, to go into that, um, that field. And I said, well, I have an internship I have to complete for credit. Um, I was able to move back home and go work at a sports agency called Advantage International, which has now become Octagon. And I threw everything out the window. I said, this is what I want to do. You know, I throughout the past three years of work um, that I'd been building up with the campus rec uh, department and, and going in with NERSA and said, you know what, uh, the business side is, is where I want to be. Um, and so I set out, you know, set my sights on, on a career to try and make my way in sports marketing. And my very first job um, took me to Atlanta, where I've been ever since, um, with the Georgia State Games, which is the is basically the State Olympics, um, fifty plus um, sports across the entire um, the entire state, um, a district festival series that takes place in different cities throughout the state, will culminating with a big championships at the end. I sold sponsorships for them. It was a legacy of the '96 Olympics, um, so it was a great time to actually be down here because we had these really fantastic facilities to work with. Still had a little bit of Olympic fever um, coming out of 1996, um, and so sponsorships were were selling well. But I ultimately felt like I, I wanted to do bigger things with my uh, my career, you know, rather than just stay focused locally. And so I actually started a and I started it as part time, and ultimately became full time with a small um, European startup company. Um, and my first client was an umbrella manufacturer um, who produced golf umbrellas and. We're selling those all over the all over the globe, and the goal of this company that I work for was essentially to set up small businesses in the states that didn't have the ability to stand on their own, and they're usually from Europe or from um, the Far East. And you know, it, the, so we basically did everything for them, from you know setting up their you know registration with the Secretary of State to running their accounting to developing distribution strategies, uh, making advertisements for them, answering the phone, shipping out product. You know, we basically did everything for them until they had the legs to stand on their own. And that really sort of gave me a really strong foundation for just all the principles of business, right? You know, all the things that go in, all the things that go into making a business successful. You know, Josh, you, you brought up a very good point about, you know, somebody not understanding like the different disciplines, they want to be a GM, but what goes into being a general manager, right? You have to understand accounting, you have to understand management, you have to understand finance, you have to understand marketing, you have to understand all these things. And so that really gave me a good root, even though it was in small business, gave me a really strong foothold in just business overall. Um, and it was from there, I got a call from, you know, one of the folks that I worked with at Advantage International, um, looking for a new hire on their account team here in Atlanta that they had just started with the Home Depot. And I said, well, I might be interested in that. So I interviewed, I ended up getting the job. I was the very first hire on that account. Um, happy to say we're now 18 years later. Um, they still, that, that account is still with Octagon many years ago. And one of the first projects that I had the opportunity to work on 
um, you know, my very first day was college game day built by the Home Depot. Um, in fact, the very first day I was in the office, uh, there was a pile of folders. My boss came in and said, well, I'm going to New Jersey for a meeting. Um, I need for you to kind of make some phone calls. There's a bunch of contracts on the desk there. I want you to pay particular attention to this one right here because it's going to go on the road in six weeks and we need to kind of build what it looks like. And I opened it up and it was the schematic for the original college game day desk built by the Home Depot. So I was there from the very beginning of that partnership, which also is, you know, here 18 plus years later, which has been really cool. And during that time on the agency, um, I worked with a number of different clients, mainly with the Home Depot, um, but did worked on everything that they did during that time period. And it was a pretty strong period for home improvement um, during that time. They had um, the Joe Gibbs Racing Team with Tony Stewart. Um, they had a relationship with AEG um, through a sponsorship of the Home Depot Center out in Carson, California. Um, they had a deal with the three different Olympic governing bodies, the US, Canada, and Puerto Rico. Um, did some things in entertainment, um, had U.S. soccer and the Mexican national team, Major League Baseball. Um, we ultimately had an NFL deal by the end. So there was a lot of stuff. I really got an opportunity to touch a whole bunch of different properties from the agency side. Um, but the agency side is not for everybody. And, and as I got older, um, I realized that I didn't want to be on the road as much. You know, my priority, your priorities start to change a little bit. Um, and, you know, I wanted to see what I could do on the brand side. And that was when I took my first brand side role to go work for ING um, U.S. Financial Services, which is now known as Voya, and handled everything there from their global F1 platform um, to their uh, to their major with well, the major platform we worked on was in the endurance space. So we were the sponsor of nine different races, including the ING New York City Marathon. Um, and then as the pandemic hit, we ended up taking on all of the events that the company was doing as well, from sales meetings to things the foundation was doing, et cetera. Um, and I happened to get a call out of the blue. And, and I tell this, I, I kind of tell this progression because like all of my, my jobs that I've had, I've not been looking for a job. <laughs> you know, so I, I call attention to that because I got a call out of the blue from somebody who I'd met at ING, who worked at UPS, that was looking for a junior level person and I was able to put him in touch with somebody and he called back a couple of weeks later and said well what would you think about coming to join us in a, in a more senior role kind of overseeing our domestic sponsorships and this new play that we're making into college sports and I was like well that sounds kind of intriguing so I ended up interviewing for it ended up getting it and um, I had the, the pleasure my first year uh, at UPS of doing the very first national um, college deal that IMG College, now Learfield, um, put together with 69 individual schools. That was my entire first summer, that and three additional conferences um, and a deal with the NCAA. Um, while my time at UPS, I had fantastic experience. Um, also had the opportunity to start our trade show um, and, and event center of excellence. So the 500 plus events that we did globally around the year, uh, globally around the, uh, around the world, um, I had the opportunity to build that function for, for UPS, you know, so that it was more of a revenue driving function for the company. Um, but like, like anything, you know, again, I got a phone call out of the blue one day um, from somebody that I had not connected with in a long time, who was one of my counterparts at Coca-Cola, who had become the chief marketing officer at the American Cancer Society. And she was talking about the mission of ACS and, you know, the hope to rid the world of cancer through the work that we're doing. And she said, I feel like sports is sort of like um, is a way for us to sort of 
if we rally around it in the right way, um, it's a great way for us to sort of kind of take ACS into the future. But I don't have anybody who can run and I need a for-profit person. I think they can run it. And so she brought me in and here I am four plus years later. So I know there's a long way to sort of get there, but um, but I, I wanted I wanted to make sure I point out though that the importance of just making connections because all of those jobs that I've had were interconnected by just a random phone call and just happening to be in the right place at the right time because I knew that person. And um, that's why it's important for you guys to sort of establish those connections early. I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? You've said so many things that I wanted to jump in and be, be like, yes. <laughs> um, but, and it started, it started of all things. It starts with the Georgia state games. I actually, got an email um, today about how the Georgia State Games are still looking for interns. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm overseeing our internship and practicum student experiences now. And uh, so we're forwarding that out to to our students. And we've had students work that internship in the past. And, yep. and that's really a starting point for you. Right. And then um, and, and one of the quotes, uh, you know, when you're saying I want I was not looking for a job, you're clearly not the first person that's that is doing their work and people are taking notice and they reach out to that talent in hopes that the talent can come and help their business or their organization. Um, and, and, you know, we'll talk about this in our, our classes or in our student groups about how it, it's, it's not what yep. you know, it's, it's actually who knows you, who knows you and the work you're doing. So, um, you know, we're, we're kind of jumping around here. We have something about later on about how, you know, what's some advice for students. So I don't want to get into that just yet, but how important is it to, for a student or for a young professional to be nose to the grindstone and I need to keep working hard so that others will notice what I'm doing? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's important that you stand out, right? Because in an industry that is still ridiculously small, um, you know, by you know, if you compare it to an industry like accounting or just marketing in general, you know, the sports business industry is ridiculously small and it's also incestuous. You run into the same people over and over again. So how are you going to, to stand out? And there's lots of different ways to do that, right? It's with, through the internship work that you do. It's through the project work that you do um, and the, the relationships that you build. And it's through reaching out and doing coffee and building networks. I mean, you have to stand out in some way because at the end of the day, the, the black hole, you know, the, that, that takes all those resumes in online is designed for one thing. It's basically a system of no, for the most part. Um, very few people make it through that filter unless you have somebody who can flag your resume in that pile and says, I can vouch for this person. I know this person's work. Um, you should at least give them a shot. Now you still have to earn, earn the role, right? You still have to go in an interview, but if you want to get that shot, you know, very, very few people make it through just sending in a blind resume. It's always done through a referral of somebody else. Go ahead. One more. I'm going to jump in one more time here. But uh, yeah. and you, you talked a little bit about your experience with the Home Depot and, and College Game Day, um, your work with March Madness, uh, Coaches versus Cancer uh, through American Cancer Society. I mean, we can keep it serious for most of this podcast. But you got to pull the curtain back and give us a little peek behind like, um, you know, what's something that we need to know? We won't tell anybody. It'll just be us three. 
that we need to know that was really a crazy wild experience either through college game day or one of the March Madness uh, scenarios that you've been involved with? Oh man, so many We're stories not, I could probably we won't tell any, about. <laughs> we won't tell anybody, okay? It's no. just the three of us. No, no worries at all. Um, well, I could tell you a kind of, uh, I'll tell you a funny story about when um, we went to Texas for Ohio State um, Texas one year. And this was, uh, this was a year where Ohio state and Texas were number one and two, I think it was around 2015 or 16. And, uh, they didn't really have guest shows or guest spots baked into the show on a, on a regular basis. But with Lance Armstrong being in, um, being in, in, um, in, in Austin and, and having background right there, we, they decided to invite him as part to be a part of the show and do a segment on what the demo field, which you've seen as part of game day. And uh, one of the production assistants and I were just walking back from one end of the um, stage to the other. And it was during a commercial break and Lee Corso tosses us a football and says, um, Hey, you know, Lance Armstrong's in the bus. Um, you can, uh, would you mind giving him this ball? Cause he's going to be on the next segment when he comes out in the demo field. I said, sure. So walk in the bus. Um, and this is somewhat embarrassing, but it's still a funny moment. Um, goes the production assistant walks up to Lance Armstrong and said, Lance, I heard you needed a ball and left it at that. And uh, the room stopped. <laughs> so it's very well known that, um, you know, Lance Armstrong mm -hmm. had te te testicular cancer and, you know, unfortunately had to have one of his testicles removed, but yeah. Uh, I don't know it's if that's an appropriate story, but hopefully you guys enjoy it. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, it stops here. That, that's where oh. the story stops here, right? But those are, the, you know, like we're joking around, but those are moments that like I, I really, you know, sometimes you don't understand that those are moments that you take away from from uh, these rigorous events and hardworking events that you that you do and put on. And so uh, everybody has some type of story that uh, that, you know, that, that, that you're sharing with others. So, well, and I'll give you one more in case that one needs to get edited out in, in, uh, in post-production. Um, so, and, th and this one's a little bit more somber, but it has a good ending to it. Um, so right before, so right before, I guess it was right before the Rose Bowl, we had run a promotion um, with the Home Depot where the winner of, you know, for using your Home Depot credit card would get a suite at the Chick-fil-A Bowl you know, which time was not one of the big, um, you know, the New Year's Day games, but it was still a pretty big, big deal. And Georgia was playing it, or playing Virginia Tech. And the guy who won um, the prize, he, you know, he was such a huge fan of Georgia. He lived in Athens, um, which is where University of Georgia is, um, had never been to a game. Um, he had this fantastic story, but he, he was, you know, um, he, he took care of like 10 members of his family and they all lived in the same house. And they were going to have this, you know, this was just going to be this awesome family celebration. You know, they had fallen on hard times and, you know, weren't making a lot of money. And um, this was just going to be a fantastic celebration of them. And they, uh, I happened to be out on, on the West Coast at the Rose Bowl. And a couple of members of my team were responsible for, you know, making sure that they got everything that they needed um, here in Atlanta. And uh, I got a call at like four o'clock in the morning um west coast time um and it, it was one of my team members saying hey you need to call me back and he kept calling kept calling kept calling finally i stepped away i'm like what is going on and he said i don't know how to tell you this but our contest winner died last night in the hotel and 
And, you know, unfortunately, my first reaction, you know, when you start, when you have to think of all the things that goes to your head, is like, did we do something to cause this? And he's like, no, he just, he, his wife called me, um, apparently he had a heart attack in his sleep. They're on their way back. They had just attended the game the night before. Um, and so they're heading back and, you know, that they, they would call me later. Um, and a few days later, the family called us and said, hey, would you mind sending some of the photos that you, you guys took at the game? You know, we'd love to have them at the funeral. And then at the end, you know, they, they were super, super complimentary to us. They said, you know, and, and that's where we sort of learned the story about their background and said this is the way he would have gone out, wanted, wanted to go out. Huge Georgia fan, got to see a big win, um, got to really have this awesome experience with his family. Um, wrote a note to uh, Bob Nardelli, who was the CEO of, of Home Depot at the time. Uh, which was passed on down to us, you know, talking about just how this experience sort of changed their life. And it just gives you a moment of pause to say, all right, you know, the work that I'm doing means a lot to a lot of people. And, you know, that, you know, that ultimately drives you every day, right? That <laughs> to me, it does. It drives me, you know, to continue to do the work I do to know that it puts a smile on a lot of people's faces, the kind of work that I do. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Yep. Just in case you needed to edit out that other one. No way. Oh, it's staying. <laughs> no, it's staying. no, I think you touched on a good point though, too, with like sports has become such a business driven mindset, I think. And we kind of get lost. I know people who have worked in the industry or stepped away from it, or they, you know, it's like, what are we doing it for? And I think those moments really bring it back to like, because people enjoy it. We don't realize like sports, brings out the best in people but also the worst in people sometimes but I think all in all it brings a lot of people together and so I think with that like sometimes you just got to step back and realize like the bigger picture and what you're doing it for for sure totally I mean think about sports as place in society right you know um, for for thousands and thousands of years the epicenter of a city was a church Right. And people sort of rallied around that. What's the epicenter of cities nowadays where they build around? It's usually a sports yeah. stadium or arena of some type. Right. So I mean, sports has done everything from help end world wars, you know, to create diplomacy opportunities, brings families together, brings fans together. I and mean, it's an incredibly powerful, um, you know, leveraging point for for businesses. And, you know, it's a that for that reason why you know, we're the American Cancer Society have decided to say, hey, we need to really hone in on this space and pay particular attention to it because it does have hold that it's, it's held in such high regard within society. Sure. I know. Um, I think it was kind of cool. Like we'll pivot and then we'll come back. Um, but I, it was cool when we did uh, when we did the March Madness event, um, the coaches versus cancer. We did the breakfast um, when we went with the heart school in 2019. And I think which was unique, but you don't realize that you guys as an entity are doing your own thing. Like you're running a whole program within this big program. And it's actually such a, you play a big role in it. And I don't think people realize how much like it is impacting. It was so cool to hear people's stories or like the wives talk or like the families of the coaches talk and just like how like, you guys have even impacted them and like just their stories with working with American Cancer Society. Well, that, you know, like I said before, cancer 
you know, has no boundaries, right? It, it doesn't discriminate based on color, age, sex, sexual preference, whatever. I mean, it's, it, it impacts everybody. I mean, in fact, you know, we got three people on this call here. Um, you know, one, one of us three is going to get cancer at some point in our lives. And that's statistically, you know, the way the numbers play out. And so it impacts everybody in, in different ways. And, you know, same way that sports sort of brings people together, you know, often a cancer diagnosis um, brings people together too, um, as part of that. And so um, doesn't matter whether these coaches, you know, make millions of dollars, you know, coaching, coaching a kid's game, they can get impacted by it just as easily as any of us. Right. Um, and, and that's, it's important to kind of keep reiterating that because most people don't think about cancer until they actually get impacted by it. And so it's important for us to leverage things like sports, to be able to talk about the mission and to talk about how important it is, to talk about how important it is to get screenings, eat properly, to exercise, to, you know, help, help push for legislation, you know, that, that helps fund more cancer research, you know, do things to help people avoid cancer altogether. Um, but then once they do, to be able to, to talk about the great work that we're doing to help patients and to help, help uh, folks survive and, and ho ultimately, hopefully thrive from this disease too. For sure. Do you have something to add, Pete? Are you good? Nope, nothing to add. Just going to say like, it's, it's just so, uh, I hope that our student body listens to this as well, just because um, I, I, I feel like there's, you know, when we think about sport and recreation and careers and pathways, like we've said already, um, there's just so many opportunities to not just worry about the final score and the wins and losses and the records and the championship trophy and parade. Um, there's so many other things and ways that sport can be powerful in our society. And this is a perfect living yeah, example. Absolutely. I would agree. That pivots us in to social media, kind of, sort of. Um, but I know you've had such a big impact on social media. Um, I know you talked to my grad class when I was in Alyssa Bosley's and just like you, um, I guess, co-founded this social media platform and Twitter handle. Um, so kind of like walk us through, like, I guess, your impact on social media, but also I guess your thoughts on it. Cause I feel that social media is such a big thing now that people look at it as more of a negative than a positive. But I, I believe that it can be positive if we just use it the right way. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, and I, I do think people use it for certainly use it for nefarious purposes, but at the root of it, it's, to bring people together that otherwise wouldn't get a chance to ever meet in person, right? You know, um, at the end of the day, I mean, look, I, I mean, we're sitting here talking here, um, but I'm connected to thousands of people online that I've never met that I feel like are my my best friends. And I've done business with folks there. Um, I've had lots of opportunities come my way from a business perspective um, that have come through my presence on social media. It's a really, really important tool, you know, if you can find the right community that you want to kind of engage in um, to get things accomplished. And, you know, the, for me, it was always just born out of curiosity, right? You know, around, around the time of the, um, the first recession or the last recession that we had back in 2008 was 
Um, Facebook was a thing, but it was mainly on college campuses. And it was around that time when people started looking at social media as something that brands could leverage that any individual outside of the college environment could actually start to use. And so someone in a, in a meeting when I was at ING said, who wants to raise their hand and figure this thing out? And so I said, I'll do it. You know, like nobody else wants to do it. I'll do it. And, you know, I ended up um, getting the opportunity to write the very first enterprise social media strategy for, for the organization as a result. And it was built around the work that we were doing in the, the running space. But in order for me to sort of to, to, you know, to get involved with it and to understand it, I had to go participate in it. And so um, I got really active and engaged. And I found that there was just this really passionate group of people um, who, again, otherwise wouldn't have had an opportunity to, to meet in the sports business that were just interested in sharing ideas um, and talking about successes and highlighting, you know, cool things going on in the industry. And, you know, I, that, that community is obviously hundredfold nowadays, but, you know, back then it was relatively small and it was just, I realized that it was a great opportunity for me to kind of connect and learn with what's going on in the universe that I may not otherwise have had the opportunity to see. And that's really the beauty of social. I mean, and, and that goes for any platform, right? You know, that doesn't matter whether it's Twitter, you know, which is mm -hmm. where, you know, my background is LinkedIn. It could be Facebook, Instagram. It, it, it's made, it's, it's designed to be a connector, you know, when you can't have that sort of face-to-face -face interaction. And um, if you don't take advantage of those free tools, then shame on you. You know, if you're really looking to connect with people, <laughs> Um, shame on you because they're there for you to take advantage of and you've got a willing group of people who are willing to help you. I think that that's one of the, one of the things that uh, is, is fascinating. You mentioned, but I mean, it breaks down barriers between um, uh, executive level people and the consumer or the elite athlete and the fan or, um, and then all of a sudden you, you've, you've built in this channel of, of communication uh, that otherwise we've, we've never had. And one of the things that we, we talk about in the sport communication class in our major is, um, you know, this is, a, you're more connected now to others in our industry than mm -hmm. ever before. And so, but, but so what, like, what yep. are you going to do with that? Are you going to, like you're saying, are you going to take advantage of it, particularly from a professional standpoint, uh, or is it more of a personal approach? Um, and so I think what you show through your social media branding and strategy yep. is you can do a little bit of both. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, it's important that people recognize that there are humans behind, you know, these, these avatars that we have. And, you know, uh, and, and you do it within reason, right? I think um, the early ages of social media, I don't think people realized that it was going to have as much staying power as it was. So you saw a lot of people, you know, uh, and, and you see it come up now with like an athlete who was in high school and they bring out a tweet that they said 12 years ago, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a big thing uh, because they didn't understand it at that time. Or you people bring out pictures of them, you know, you know, beer bonging at a fraternity house party or something along those lines. Right. So I think people are a little bit more understanding of the impact of social media now. But um, but I think it's it is infinitely important, you know, for you to kind of put a stake in the ground and actually participate um, and, and kind of showcase what you stand for, both personally, both professionally, what interests you. Um, because I can guarantee you that anytime an HR person, um, you know, looks at a resume, first place they go is they go to LinkedIn, see who they're connected to, 
see what jobs they've had, not necessarily what's written out and in your, what you want to see on the resume, but they want to understand like the, the connections that you have. They may look you up and they may Google you and take a look at your Facebook page because they want to know what kind of personality that they're getting. So it's very important that the, the presence that you make online, A, you're, you're, you're making a presence, but the one that you make is what you want people to actually see of you and understand about you. Um, and for me, it's always been about, you know, it's, it's a fun place for me to, to talk about the adventures of having a son, you know, um, who farts and burps a lot and plays baseball. Um, but it's also a great place for me to like really try and share, um, share great things that I see in the industry. It helps keep me sharp and also to provide an avenue to, for other people to contact me um, who may need some mentoring or may need some advice. So that's sort of how I've had position. That's not for everybody. Um, but it is important that you do kind of put a put a stake in the ground and, and build a presence for yourself. I think that is cool. It's been cool to kind of see how my LinkedIn obsession has grown <laughs> in the sense of being a young professional, because like I have it up right now. I have it up. I look at it every day now, like it's part of my like social media checking but that's one that I check through and it's like almost my sports newspaper now in the sense of there's news information on there, but I see who my connections are liking and their posts and what other people are doing. Like it reflects my passion and my interest in the sense of professional. And it's so cool to like just have this at my fingertips now of just like, okay, it's here, but I can also start dialoguing conversations in the sense of professional more, I think, than personal, because a lot of my social media is more personal and LinkedIn is very, it's kept very much more professional. And so I actually saw a post the other day on there that said someone had reached out, they had a kid reach out to them that was like in college or high school. And he just wanted to talk to them because he was looking to get into the industry. And a guy was like, of course, like, let's get on a phone call. Let's talk for 15 minutes, like whatever. And the kid was like, you're the first person that's responded to me. And I've probably reached out to umpteen people. And I was like, wow, like, and every time I've reached out to someone, everyone's like, yeah, sure. Like, let's do it. And like, <laughs> I've never had really a problem with it. So I was like, wow, there is still people out there that are just like, mm, I don't have time for that. And so I think, you know, keep reaching out is my thing, like you're saying, but also building a brand on social media and just, it should reflect who you are as an individual as well. Because now when you apply to jobs, they ask for all the links, all the things. Yep. And I'm like, okay, I need to make sure I'm good. Absolutely. So. Well, as you've seen, you know, in recent months, all it takes is one errant tweet from 12 years ago to bring down somebody, right? To bring down an entire organization yeah. and an entire brand that you've built for yourself. So it's important that you participate, um, but it's also important that you are very wary of the impacts of what you're posting. For sure. JW, I'm going to combine our next two things, if that's all right. Can I do yeah, that? Yeah, go ahead. Go for it. Um, um, one of the things we want, had on the list here to, to address were um, the topic of partnerships, sponsorships, deals, negotiations. And that, those are things that you're working on daily, I'm sure, um, and have for several years throughout the different positions in career, uh, your career path. But 
that's also one of the areas that I think students are apprehensive about and not as confident with when you're talking about working with partners and sponsorship uh, deals or negotiating uh, business deals, um, knowing that we're trying to get get an inch here for the company, but we have to also give an inch over here for our partner. Um, so I want to roll that into advice for students. Um, you know, can you maybe share a lesson, a little bit of a lesson learned on working in that environment and those types of roles that would be helpful for young professionals uh, as they're about to move in, move forward uh, in, in a variety of different ways? But then also just overall from what you see in working around and being around the heart school, being around young professionals in our industry, uh, what would you like to see more of? What would you like to see maybe uh, young professionals be working on now to better prepare them to, well, to catapult? Certainly, I mean, regardless of whether you're actually going to be selling and going through these negotiations as part of your job, sales and negotiation will be a part of your job no matter what. You know, it doesn't matter if you're selling tickets or sponsorships. Like even when I was in a marketing role, it was my job to sell the organization on here's the plan and the things that we should be doing. Can you give me the money to go do that? You know that. So it's it's a very important skill to have. And, and I think you know the lesson that I would teach people about negotiation overall is to, you got to go into it with an understanding that both sides are trying to get something out of it and want to feel good about it. And the strongest partnerships are the ones where both people walk away from it feeling good about what they got in return. Right. It's not always about winning a negotiation, you know, I mean, in, in fact, if you're going in with that approach, you know, have you ever, you know, if you've ever bought a car and had a really crappy negotiation and feel like you walked away from that, that negotiation with life, feel like I got swindled, right? You know, and you have a sour taste in your mouth. And every time you look at that car, you think about that experience that you had, <laughs> right? You want to feel like you walked away partly as a winner in this. And, and the same goes with anything that you do when you're making these big deals. Doesn't matter if they're a $10,000 deal or a $10 million deal, right? Both sides are trying to get something accomplished. Um, and, and when you go into it with that approach, it ultimately makes partnerships that much stronger, right? Um, partnerships are called partnerships for a reason, right? You shake hands, you're working together, um, and you're trying to do something together. And so it makes sense that you come in with an understanding of what each party wants to accomplish together. And you try and aim for that as part of the negotiation. At the end of the day, if you come in with guns blazing and just trying to win the negotiation every time, um, number one, you're probably not going to get very far. And number two, if you do get very far with that approach, I can guarantee you the second time around, it's not going to work that way and it's going to work against you. So it's best to kind of go into a negotiation understanding that, Hey, there's a human being on that other side that's trying to accomplish something just like I am. Let's find, let's work together to find a mutual solution that works for both of us. And like when, when we think about the young professionals moving into their next stage, I mean, is there anything that sticks out to you that, um, whether it's they're moving into a higher level or moving into their first full-time position, is there anything that sticks out to you where you would like to see, or, you know, you would advise, Hey, you, you know, you may want to consider this, or this is an area that, that you, you know, you would suggest uh, students work on or young professionals work on um, just given some of the experiences that you've had and, and the places. Certainly. That I mean, I, I certainly think analytics plays and, and research um, plays a much, much bigger role in everything that we do. Um, and that, you know, if you're looking at a team, it doesn't matter whether you're selling a sponsorship 
or whether you're, you know, trying to advise the team on better performance, you know, numbers and the ability to break them down is becoming very, very important job of, of everyone, right? And understanding how to interpret that to actually, you know, drive your job forward. Um, so certainly I think analytics, is something that, that everybody should be thinking about. Um, finance, you know, is certainly an area too that I touch every day, right? People want to know not just how much money that we're bringing in from fundraising or how much money we're spending on, you know, banners or tchotchkes or what have you, but they want to know how profitable we are, right? They want to know, they want to understand like what we're doing um, that may be more, uh, more app maybe applicable to other programs that we're doing that we can repeat based on how profitable they are, you know? So those are the two big ones I would say jump out. I mean, outside of that, I would stick to your business principles, right? Your marketing management, accounting, um, all of those things will play a role in what you do um, in your job on a day-to-day -day basis, no matter where you are, right? If you're going to stay in sports, you know, you, you're going to have to have a, a really, really broad understanding of how the business works. And that just doesn't include like your little bubble, like in social media or advertising, you have to understand how that impacts the broader organization. So I just encourage people to re get a really, really strong, um, you know, sense of business understanding and how the world works there. And, and that will serve you well, no matter what role you're, you're going into. Facts. That's like the advice that's right there. <laughs> I just, because I talk to students and I talk to young professionals and I'm one of them, but it's, it's funny when I sit down and they're like, oh, like, what was your path? Like, what you, what were you thinking? What were you wanting to get into? And I was like, honestly, like, I just like hopped into an opportunity that was handed to me. I didn't know. I knew I, I had a broad idea, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And so some students are like, I don't even want to do sales. And I laugh, just like you said, we all do sales. We all do research. What, what is we an interview? You're day. selling yourself, right? right. You know, you, you, you're <laughs> right. going to a job interview. Your job is to sell yourself as someone who can help that company, right? So you're doing selling, whether you think about it as someone buying, I mean, the thing that they're buying from you is you, you know, so sales and the ability to kind of you know, have that skill, it doesn't matter whether you're actually selling tickets or sponsorships, you're going to be doing some form of selling no matter what you do. And that could be in a performance room. It could be in yeah. um, an opportunity to ask for another job, you know, like to, to ask for a promotion or ask for a raise. You're going to have to go in and, and mm -hmm. have your, you know, be able to sell yourself and the reasons why you should be getting that. And so you're absolutely right. It's a super, super important skill um, to understand, you know, even though you may not be selling stuff for a living. Right, for sure. So I think we touched on good things. Pete, do you have anything to add before I hit the two, two other points? No, I'm, I'm okay. just listening. I'm taking, <laughs> You're absorbing? I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes over here, man. <laughs> um, so I think you hit on some good things, just advice for students. Uh, and so I won't go into that one a little more. I think everything you kind of said hasn't been said before in an episode. It has been said before, but also I think you've touched on some good points in general, just like, hey, you got to learn how to sell yourself. Um, so I think next thing I want to touch on is your turning point. Um, Pate and I have talked about our turning point in like our career of like, what was your turning point where you're like, mm, this is it. This is like what I want to do, why I want to do it. You know, I, 
I didn't really get a sense of like what I was doing or whether I felt like this was the career path for me um, until I really started to work on college game day. And I, I remember my, um, she's now my ex-wife, but my wife at the time, she decided to come to one of the college game days with me at the University of Alabama. And um, this was before Sa Nick Saban. So before the, the Darth Vader came in and, and started to rule the roost. Um, and I, I remember that we, you know, she came to the set and kind of helped set up, you know, we had a bunch of students out, that were out there that kind of helped us set up every week. And then when everybody came out on the quad at, at, at the University of Alabama, the lights came mm -hmm. on, the crowd came up and, you know, got blown up on the video screen and you see it on TV. And I remember her turning to me and, you know, this is somebody who was not raised in a sports household. And she goes, now I understand why it is you love what you do. <laughs> Um, just the impact that just the flip of the switch had, you know, and the crowd came on and everybody went nuts. She's like, now I finally understand. And that was kind of my turning point for me too, saying, yeah, you know what? This is pretty cool. I, I really think I could do this. I mean, I was, well, how old was I at that point? I think I was maybe 22 or 23 at that point. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I feel like I could do this. Like seeing the amount of impact, just that flip of the switch had, on the crowd and people's enjoyment of this activity really like, you know, was a turning point for me to say, yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to stick with this. Well, and how cool was it? I mean, you came sort of as a spectator uh, when uh, college game day came to, to James Madison, but uh, how cool was it to see that come full circle for your life? You know, you were working on that at, from the very beginning, and you're going to these massive college football meccas like Alabama and Ohio State and Texas and, and all these places. And now all of a sudden, that property is coming to James Madison University in consecutive years, too. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing to see that. I mean, you know, we, and we would talk about that. You know, so I knew Lee Fitting, who was the executive producer. Um, he was a junior level producer when I worked on the show. And, um, you know, we, we talked about that, you know, why college game day never goes to some of these smaller schools and everything else. And a lot of it was built around, you know, making sure they got the sexy um, television matchups, you know, that week, uh, which were, you know, the people who tune in, they tune in to watch the Blue Bloods, right? They were the Notre Dames, the USC's, the Texas's, the Georgia's, et cetera, the world. And, um, but it, it was, it was about halfway through my tenure at game day where they started talking about how, the storyline behind the place they go every week plays a much bigger role than just the game itself and the importance of, you know, why they would go to certain matchups. And I think the turning point that I remember for that was when Katrina hit and, um, you know, Hurricane Katrina was devastating for um, the entire Southeastern United States, particularly, you know, the state of Louisiana. And they decided one week, one week to go to, the um, uh, the annual uh, rivalry between Grambling and Southern, um, which had to be moved that year to Houston um, because they couldn't host the game in Louisiana as they traditionally had done. And so, um, and there was no crowd for that game. It was all about the storyline, you know, like the importance of historically black colleges and universities and the bands and, you know, the, the, the tie into Katrina and the storyline that kind of came along with that, you know, and, and mm. that, you know, from there on, it kind of became more important than just picking the biggest game of the week. Right. You know, it was the ability, because especially when you got two hours of airtime, 
uh, you got to tell, you got to do a lot. <laughs> and then they expanded the three hours. You got even more space that you got to fill with, with storylines. So how are you going to, you know, make that appealing and make somebody want to sit there for three hours and watch. And a lot of it is just having that storyline sort of woven into the show that you're doing every week. And the fact that, you know, JMU like had, had openly pined to have college game day come to its campus um, via social media. The fact that it talked about all these things that it was going to do if it came there, um, the cards all just happened to align. And it was so cool to kind of come there and see it come to life and have these kind of crossing in my former world and, and to see that a lot of the stuff, cause I hadn't been back to the show in probably five or six years to see that a lot of those things that we were doing back in 2003 and 2004 uh, they're still doing today, you know, oh, yeah. just in a, just with a different twist on them, which I thought was really, really cool. So felt like we established something like really cool that, that has some continuance over the years. Yeah. I mean, it's just a culture that that TV show is cultural, you know, I mean, yep. uh, it, it's, it just becomes part of uh, a routine and part of what college students do, what part of what uh, families do and part of what uh, young and older men and women do. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Well, and you, you, you rate, you, you, you kind of bring up a good point there about just college game day in general. At the end of the day, it's a TV show. Like what Home Depot buys is airtime. They buy advertising. Right. And, and, you know, in the, in the best of, in the best of times when I was at college game day, it might've gotten up to a three on the Nielsen, you know, which is about 3 million people watching. And I think it's gone above that since then, but um, at the end of the day, they're paying a lot of money for something that, you know, really only reaches 3 million people. So how are you going to kind of build a platform around it? Talk, it took some foresight for some people to say, all right, I recognize this as sort of like a cult, cultural and cult phenomenon, um, that there's something to these talent that are there, the experiences that are created each week. How can we like take that and leverage it almost as you would a traditional sponsorship um, versus just buying advertising time and uh, that's you know it's it's been a model that's been um copied many many times over now since then you know most notably with college game day and state farm right but every tv show has a sponsor and they integrate it into their their stores and online promotions mm -hmm. and get the talent involved but that really wasn't done to a, a high level before college game day and home depot especially not on site uh, Certainly. Now, now all the different channels have their own version of of whatever pregame show the professional uh, sport leagues do and all that stuff, too. So uh, if you took the model that was put across your desk uh, of the what the desk and the set might look like and then took a look at what uh, what those pregame shows look like today, uh, it's probably not that far off, no matter what channel or company that you're going to. So. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's kind of now it's now it's the model that everybody follows. Yeah. You know, whereas before it was kind of a, it, it, like I said, it took some foresight because at the end of the day, they were paying a lot more than what you would traditionally pay for the same type of advertising because it was with the belief that you could create something bigger out of this. It's on my TV every Saturday morning. So I wake up, <laughs> turn it on. <laughs> Me too. When I'm not at the baseball diamond, for sure. <laughs> oh, you're at, you're at the, you're at youth baseball field every Saturday morning. At oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, between now and the end of June, my uh, my weekends are booked. <laughs> At least you're outside. Yep. Um, so to wrap all of this up, um, what is the mantra that you live by? You know, to me, be resourceful. You know, um, 
I've always prided myself on problem solving on my own, you know, with limited guidance, but it is a trait that's really, really hard to teach. You almost have to teach it to yourself, but be inquisitive, be willing to try and figure out things on your own. Um, try and learn new things. Don't be afraid to learn new things and don't be afraid of your own decision-making power. I think, you know, intuition is a, is a big thing. I, I you know, i I tend to think that I've made mostly good decisions in my life. Not everyone has been perfect, uh, but, you know, resourcefulness and the ability to just figure out a problem and to try and come up with a solution using your own, you know, your own wills has always been a mantra that I've tried to live by. I try and teach my teams to do that too. And that doesn't mean throwing people to the wolves, right? And, you know, you have access to incredible, incredible, um, folks who can help guide you along that path, you know, whether that's your professors, whether that's other colleagues um, in the, in the sports business industry, fellow students, take advantage of those, but try and figure it out on your own because um, don't, don't just do what everybody thinks that you should do kind of carve your own path. And you ultimately will, will learn a lot more from it. I think. That's a good one. Totally agree. I love that. I mean, like there has to be some ownership and, and steering of the bus, you know, so um, I love that. Thanks, Jada. Well, I think the tendency for a lot of people to is, okay, what's the assignment? All right, I want to do what my teacher expects me to do. I tried to live by the idea. I'm, I don't, I, that just provides me with guardrails. I want to go above that and I want to figure out some new things on my own. You know, I don't want to do just what's prescribed. I want to do one step further than that because it ultimately it'll help me stand out a little bit more and I'll learn more from it. A lot of times in our program and, and I do this in the classroom when I'm giving students an assignment, I'm very vague in those assignment details. And the reason is because I want them to take that and run with it. You know, I want them to create, be, use some creativity, um, push the limits a little bit. And some students aren't comfortable with that yet. Others are um, same thing for the internship or the practical experiences that they that our students uh, gain, you, you kind of hope that they're not doing those things just to check the box and move to the next box. Um, so you want them to really settle in and, and, and take ownership of, of what they're doing so that it can become part of their, who they are and their brand and it can help their education overall. So. Uh, well, and it helps them expand their network too. I mean, when I was in college, when I was in college, you know, like if we had to do a facilities project, let's say, you know, and talk about everything that went into, you know, what goes into making that facility successful. The default responses for um, the facilities that people targeted were the obvious ones. They were ones in the Washington, D.C. area. They were the University of Virginia, West Virginia. You know, they were on campus at JMU. I went and did my facility project on the Salt Palace Convention Center because I happened to be there for um, for a conference for NURSA. And I'm like, well, I might as well use this as an opportunity to meet somebody different in a different city and talk about what they do and ultimately stand out, you know, and those kinds of things, that, that kind of work makes a makes a big difference, you know, taking a little bit more risk and and doing what's uncomfortable. You know, um, at some point you're you're gonna be forced into doing that. It's not an industry for wallflowers, so you might as well start now. Well, speaking of different cities, uh, I spent four or five years living in Atlanta, and uh, I'm a lifelong Atlanta Braves fan. And so, JW, we can celebrate still um, this World Series championship. I am jealous of you being so close and your ability to go at any moment to see the defending world champions 
defend their crown this year. <laughs> oh, it's a lot of fun. We and we have we have until about November first to continue that claim. So yeah, I know. Take, <laughs> you better take advantage of it as much as you can. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's uh, and it's a fantastic new stadium. Um, if you haven't had the chance to be there yet, um, it, it's uh, it's really gorgeous. It is in the middle of uh, of Cobb County, which is not this, quite the same backdrop as the city of Atlanta, but the game day experience is so much better than where it was at, at Turner Field previously. So it's a treat. Yeah, well, I'm super jealous. So enjoy it for me, <laughs> if everybody, okay? You bet. I'll, I'll make sure to snap okay. pictures for you and send them your way. <laughs> hey, JW, this was fantastic. Yeah, go ahead, Ashley. I was just going to say this was fantastic. Great connect with you and great for you to share your words with uh, with our listeners. Same. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, it was fantastic. I am taking notes for myself, but also I, you know, it was, you, you touched on a lot of good points that I don't think um, our previous guests have touched on yet. So it will be a nice, fresh, um, I can't even think of the words right now, but yes, a fresh new um, perspective within the industry. So I appreciate it. Happy to do it. And if you need to edit out that story about Lance Armstrong, I won't be offended. That's what, that's what will separate our podcast apart. You just said to do that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> will do. Uh, uh, awesome. Hey, thanks so much for what you do for the Heart School, JW. It's always meaningful and our, it, it certainly impacts our students and, uh, and our faculty and, uh, and all of our stakeholders. So we appreciate your service to what, what we're uh, trying to do for our students. You bet. Uh, Happy to do it. Sounds Enjoy good. We'll it. talk to you soon. Thanks again. All right. All right take care, guys. We'll see you.